everybody. Welcome back to the Exponential Finance Podcast. Today, very excited to welcome Matteo Fiorentini, who is the Head of Machine Learning and Quantum Algorithms at Cambridge Quantum Computing. Good morning, Matteo. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Norbert. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's an honor and a pleasure for me to be here and talking about quantum computing. CQC, as Cambridge Compton Computing is referred to in short, is obviously in a very exciting space. You're a startup, you have Japanese investors, so you came to Japan last year and you, you gave a couple of presentations, which I the benefit of joining as well. So what do you do at CQC? Let me talk really for a couple of minutes about the company. So for the people who haven't heard about CQC, it's, uh, we are predominantly a UK-based company, but with a global presence, especially in Japan and also in the US. We focused on developing quantum software end-to-end, so both uh, very close to the metal, very, in a way, enabling technology, and also business-oriented application to exploit what is considered to be the most powerful paradigm of quantum computers, so these universal quantum computers, which are available today. IBM offers quantum computing in the cloud. Honeywell probably will do soon. Startups like Rigetti quantum computing, they do for it. There are more, there are more. We are predominantly software-based. The thing we do, the area in which we focus are, for example, compilers, building, generally speaking, then libraries around this compiler that will effectively be, let's say, the MKL libraries of quantum computers, so really key subroutine that everybody will use in the day to day, and then build more tailored solutions and software packages to people in finance and really becoming domain expert in a few selected domain. There is, we have a quantum chemistry team at Cambridge Quantum. Again, my team focuses on machine learning and finance uh, and also industrial optimization problem, the more general purple occupation. We also have a blue sky thinking team that is focusing on quantum natural language processing. They invented their system that is language in quantum world. They are doing amazing thing with that. We also have a division that focuses on encryption and especially on the difficult task of producing random numbers that are certified to be random the time they are produced, not a posteriori, which is a very difficult task. Generally speaking, uh, talking about CQC, my view is that quantum computing is a very exciting technology. It's a great example of innovation that is really driven by science, really from the source. And every little advantage on the commercial side of it, engineering side of it, it's really because of a better understanding, a better scientific understanding of the problem, which is ultimately a better understanding of the whole world. So I guess if there are very few fields that are as exciting as this. And, you know, the impact is everywhere. It could be everywhere. That's great. Thank you, Matteo. Let's focus a bit more on your team, what you're doing specifically, if you don't mind. The focus of me and my team is to demonstrate the impact of quantum computing, this uh, novel technology, and how we can transform certain algorithms and certain computational techniques that there are applied to really wide spectrum of scientific, engineering, and business application. This in the near term, in the next few years, and using the hardware that we have available. Just like in classic computing, you've got this differentiation between hardware and software. And so the hardware side, there's lots of development happening and there are different approaches to it. And with CQC, you're focusing on the software side. You're developing an operating system that can run on different hardware platforms. Is that the correct description? 
Yes, that's definitely one of the application or the product of which we are the proudest to have developed the CQC. Let's say that the right word, it's a compiler. The quantum software team, which is, let's say, a sister team to mine, has developed Ticket, which is this piece of software. It's really an enabling technology to exploit and apply quantum computing at scale. It's a very useful tool, I believe, because it allows to be plugged into most of the quantum computer available today, in particular, all the major universal quantum hardware. There are different paradigms of quantum computing. Some are specialized machines, the other are universal. This compiler is really aimed at making the most of universal machine that can emulate classical computing in all their aspects, but also be superior to them in certain specific application. Ticket also optimizes, as any compiler should be doing, optimizes the quantum software to be run using less quantum resources. It's something that as CQC, we're all very proud of, and specifically with the quantum software team. Is that compiler a commercial product that anybody who is interested in building quantum computing software can actually rent or buy? It's very commercial, yes. It's a piece of software. It's licensed. It's ready to be used and uh, I would say relatively off the shelf. And in fact, uh, uh, some of the major outdoor provider, they use pretty much routinely from us and from some of our partners on the main quantum hardware that's available right now today. If you take a traditional software developer and you put them onto a quantum machine to develop algorithms, is this very similar or do you need to train them to think differently and look at the problem differently to develop an algorithm on a quantum platform? This is a very interesting point, right? Because this is a new technology and it's interesting to wonder if this technology will not only either integrate or surpass what we have today, but also who are the right people to, to use it? Software engineers, uh, are they ready? What do we need? Pretty much any company that has more than, I don't know, we say 50 or 100 employees has a software engineering department. What is going to happen to these people? So I believe that thanks to software like Ticket, for example, uh, it would be increasingly easy for software engineers to use quantum computer. This will happen soon. I think it won't happen now, or it's a, it's a bit difficult that it will happen now or that a software engineer can just learn quantum computing because right now all the algorithms are basically developed in the equivalent of assembly code because this is really the level of details that we need to adopt into crafting this algorithm today. As the hardware mostly will become more sophisticated, compilers, but also library that are pretty much essential. If you think about the MKL uh, Intel library, for example, every software engineer will probably use them routinely. The more closer to the metal developer that today are pretty much quantum physicists and computer science that have been trained specifically in quantum computer, we will build uh, those libraries. Once those will ready, building a quantum algorithm will mean just playing with this fundamental block to make it more efficient, more tailor-made to the problem. But for most class of problems today, we are still building those very useful libraries. That's a very helpful comparison to the exemplar. So I'm a bit older in my ComSci 101 class. We still move kind of the bits around in assembler code. So don't necessarily think you do this anymore. Good comparison for this state of what we're in currently. No, it's interesting what you said. It's interesting that uh, all the arithmetic that is done by classical computer, 
this binary arithmetic uh, resorts to swapping bits and moving memory blocks around. It's pretty much the same with quantum computing, but quantum information and the way this quantum bit work is surprisingly counterintuitive. And unless each computer science curriculum at university will include a module that exactly goes into those details, uh, explaining how the fundamental iteration on the quantum computer differ and extend the classical one. It will require retraining, basically. But it's an interesting point. I don't see why, certainly it's just a matter of study, and I don't see why this couldn't be a chance for maybe enhancing a little bit uh, standard computer science curriculum. From your personal journey, got a PhD in physics from King's College, and then obviously your BA and MA. At what point did you make the decision that you would want to focus on quantum computing? My training in condensed matter physics, which is the kind of quantum physics that describes the states of matters that are most common on Earth, to keep it very simple. Quantum computing, it's a very narrow, in a way, subsection of that. Although in quantum computing, there is a big portion of, it's not only physics, but there are strong computer science foundations. Towards, during my PhD, I moved more from the theoretical aspect of content matter to the computational aspect. So you could describe this from crafting models to solving them, basically. And there I started to appreciate how non-trivial writing programming some artificial machine to do the, the manual tasks for us can prove beneficial, let's say, not only to scientists or to engineers, but really to everybody. And I took interest in quantum computer because it seemed, to be, it seemed to be a technology that could potentially, again, be able to solve many more problems. Actually, I'm saying potentially, but it's proven there are theorems that prove that there exists quantum algorithm to solve some problem in a matter that is so efficient that basically looks that classical computer have never solved that problem. It looks like quantum computer, classical computer even, will never be able to solve the problem that quantum computer can solve that well. Many people often ask why it's relevant to study and build quantum computer. Well, quantum computers guarantee to do one thing very well, which is solving a quantum physics problem. And uh, the most fundamental way of designing drugs and studying molecules uh, curing diseases, really, is to study them from the fundamental quantum mechanical components. So if you mix all these elements, let's say I was uh, both aware from a practical and theoretical perspective of how powerful these machines are. So it was quite natural for me to be interested in the field. Also, towards the end of my PhD, machine learning became basically the most talked about and also one of the recent most successful computational techniques ever to be ever applied in any domain, really, especially in the commercial domain. And people started talking about, well, can we make machine learning and artificial intelligence better with quantum computer? So I thought that there was a window of opportunity for somebody that has some fundamental knowledge and this research vocation to actually not only have an impact for a community of experts, but also for the broader community. Very much a personal choice. And I think it's important to make choice independently. And uh, when one is convinced of the choice, really, therefore doesn't matter as much, but it's the feeling of employing your time and uh, your intellectual capabilities for an effort that is meaningful. 
as every scientist knows, the effort of our community are made up of many small individual single efforts, and that's fine. But really having the certainty of being contributing to something that is globally very important, I guess, uh, it's a great source of satisfaction and it doesn't matter how small the progress, but the progress is tangible. It's very rewarding, I would say, really from a personal point of view. You differentiated between the problems that the quantum computer can solve better and the one that only quantum computers solve. And I think you called it quantum advantage and the, the quantum supremacy on the other side. So maybe we can explain that once more. There are many theoretical types, let's say, of quantum computer. Important category are the universal quantum computer. So machines that are program fully programmable. And because of theoretic construction, they can solve all the problems the classical computer can solve. Plus, let's say some others. As far as we know today, the classical computer cannot solve efficient. Some of them, very clever scientists, found in the past decades even, quantum algorithms that instead can do the job very well. Particularly when this concept of doing a very good job there, it's formalized with the concept of exponential speed-up. So if given infinite amount of time and infinite amount of resources, classical computer could indeed solve the problem. There isn't anything in their architecture that makes them incapable of the problem to be coded up on a classical device and be solved. The problem is that they are so slow for certain specific type of problem. And everybody has heard of, I think, the traveling salesman, but also solving quantum mechanics. So really ultimately being able to design what is called in silico. So using only virtual resources and simulation. It's something that classical computer cannot do well. And to really solve this problem, that they will need the instances of this problem that we care the most. So the one that have biggest sizes for the traveling salesman, the largest number of CD, or when it comes to a molecule, a molecule with the largest number of atoms. We know that it's practically impossible to build a machine that will do that in a reasonable amount. Really here we are talking about resources estimate that involved building a giant power plant out of the sun. Really this is the size of the effort. Why this is the case? Why there are these problems that we can write as classical computer software But, but we can't solve in a reasonable amount of time. Because all the algorithms we've built so far to solve this problem, they scale, it's called a, the runtime, it scales exponentially. So as soon as we have conquered the biggest instance possible, the traveling salesman, I keep repeating it because it's a very striking example, the largest instance of the traveling salesman, I think, uh, solves a very good uh, delivery route through few tens of thousands of CD. And the solution was found by occupying a pretty large cluster. I mean, something that, you know, there will be an handful on her built of that side for years. This is not compatible to any business demand or any business problem. Classically, we have reached certain structural limit. Conquered in that specific case, that huge instance, but adding a CD, if we go 80,000 CD plus one, it will not take two years. It will take one year more. This is called the scaling. These laws that dictate the growth in resources, it's exponential. It's something that as human being, as small limited user being, we cannot conquer. We know that instead, with quantum computer, it's not the case. Not for the traveling salesman problem. This is still very much work in progress. But when it comes to quantum physics, for example, we know that the scaling law isn't bad anymore. And quantum physics is one of those problems that, given that there is this classical scaling law that scales so badly, 
And we know that the scaling law of quantum computing is much milder. It's something that we can extend easily and steadily, let's say, in the size of the molecule without hitting this brick law. And that is an instance of quantum supremacy. So let me say it in another terms. Applying quantum computer on a problem that classically we have no hope to solve past a certain section. It doesn't matter how powerful the classical computer we aim to be. When we manage to run an instance of the problem on a quantum computer, that's something that we can call quantum supremacy. There are cases instead, a weaker version of it instead, called quantum advantage, as you mentioned. So quantum advantage is then a sort of temporary gain over classical domain. Temporary means basically that we discover new, uh, and this happened in the past, we discover new quantum algorithms that seem to scale much better, but then we discover a classical algorithm that, if properly tuned, actually looks like do a job that is as good. Or really, it's just an advantage in terms of if we fix the size of the problem, for example, we know that quantum computers use less quantum resources. But given how abundant classical resources are, we are very happy to spend them to simply solve a bigger instance of the, of the quantum problem. This is what I personally called quantum advantage. Are there examples of quantum advantage and quantum supremacy that has, has really happened? I think there is one example of quantum supremacy, which is what Google did uh, last year, because they managed to build a device that simulates a quantum process that it's impossible to simulate on a classical computer. And they proved, what they did is that they run this project and they proved that the process is still quantum genuine. So they say, we made it. It was impossible to simulate on Earth, humankind, it would be impossible to simulate the process using classical computer, using any other means. That's the first genuine case of quantum supremacy. Quantum advantage, we can see it very often, and researchers can routinely perform quantum advantage experiments. We know that there are, in machine learning, in optimization, in finance, there are a lot of computational problems that we can solve in finance, that we can see that for the same size of the problem, the quantum computer gets still the solution, but with using a ridiculously small amount of quantum resources. Keep in mind that for a classical computer to store an integer number, it really uses a handful of bits that are the fundamental cost unit. Only to store an integer variable, you can just imagine only to run the operating system, that then run the program, that then solve the problem, how many bits are we using? A quantum computer so far, we can use 20, 30 qubits at most. So you can see that the battle, it's really not on the same level. It's skewed from the favor of classical computer. But quantum computer, as I said, if you, if you limit the size of the problem, generally speaking, they consume like electricity. They are very fast. And in some case, they can genuinely accomplish more by doing less computational steps because of genuinely new algorithms. So it's a very interesting debate, and I guess that it's not even easy to really pinpoint what quantum supremacy and quantum advantage means. So I gave really my own interpretation of this. And so you mentioned already practical applications in finance. What are examples of what you're working on and really put this into commercial use? Finance is a domain that I think it's um, really not only quantum computer, but for any new computational technology is a natural domain especially for the most sophisticated the scientific techniques, because in finance, most of the business problem has been formalized properly as mathematical problem first. Therefore, solving a business problem, it's equivalent to properly solve a mathematical problem. 
Also, this means that every advancement in the formulation and in the way of solving the problem, it's uh, immediately translatable in a commercial and business. The reason why finance often is mentioned in any application, it's really clearly motivated by this practical aspect. With my team, we have quite broad view of what we can be achieved by applying quantum computing in finance. We're not the only group in the world that does it, but let's say that we are amongst the few that are trying to solve this difficult problem. I will start with the most interesting bits, and it's the, all the problems of pricing and model calibration. They can be solved by quantum computer with some neat, genuinely quantum algorithm that has been proven to have an advantage over classical ones. And in particular, it has been proven that there exists quantum algorithm that can perform Monte Carlo integration using less sample compared to classical ones, but still obtaining results that are as good. Often engineers in the field, in this very mature field, they are able to employ tricks that using classical resources achieve similar results. The interesting aspect here is that quantum computing can achieve advancement regardless of the problem structure. That's really why we're studying quantum computer, because we have noticed that in problems like factoring integer numbers or this problem of the Monte Carlo integration, basically, we can achieve speed up without having to exploit the problem structure. Well, we had to exploit quantum information, right? Which is quite interesting and sophisticated job. But then when it comes to the mathematical structure of the problem, it's an advantage that we gain regardless of certain further hypotheses that often we have to enforce and explore, perhaps limiting ourselves in some cases to make this computation more feasible. So if you get faster results in terms of option pricing, for example, or mm -hmm. portfolio optimization, solving this problem translates directly into business results. So theoretically, any hedge fund who would be applying your research and your algorithms could have a pricing trading advantage. Are those enterprises part of your customer base already? I would say that that's the kind of organization that, yes, that we talk to and we work with because uh, quantum computing is many things. And as you said, I thought about some application that I think it's, it's clear what the value is. Let's say risk, computation of risk measure, therefore all the various flavor of portfolio optimization. This machine learning technique called generative model that can help us find a nice model of random variable that otherwise would be too noisy to employ in our mathematical modeling for finance. These are just few that comes to my mind, but there are so many business applications when we see a potential of quantum advantage. This is the more theoretical aspect. So this is like a snowball effect. This is where the change starts. But then there are very practical aspects for this adopting new technology. These are often the aspects that make or break the adoption. And so people come to us and, of course, they ask us what's likely to work the soonest, what's likely to work in the most general case, and also what does it mean to have such a machine in their production system. Some company needs to do more sophisticated calculations. Our problem is small, but we want to be the most precise because for our customer, for our business model, we stay in business if you are the most precise at solving the problem. Other companies say, no, we are the one that see the problem more comprehensively, the one that can apply this technique and solve this problem for the largest number of assets and have a broader view of the market. 
these are very different approaches and this will mean different things for new technologies you know it's like really the difference between speed high performance computing which mostly focus on speed and instantaneous capacity or high throughput computing which uh, it's really aims at screening as many cases of your problem as possible. These are very, very practical problems, and these are questions that can be answered today and are essential to planning uh, quantum adoption strategies for both organizations. Organization they sometimes move. I mean, the fastest large organization, they adopt change on a scale that is potentially five years. The biggest one can take 10 years to adopt a new technology that is so, so transformative. So this is really, I think, good timing. And so it's interesting that finance is an early adopter or more practical use case, let's say, than farmer. And the timeline sets the right expectations. For me personally, when I saw your presentation, what really eye-opening is that it was always there's the, the classic computing and there's the quantum computing. And then you talk about the number of qubits and there's this arms race between Google, Microsoft, Intel, and whoever else is engaged on the number of qubits. What you presented was very practical in saying there are things that classic computers do well and they should be doing them. And then there's specific problems where quantum computers excel and that's where we should be using them. But ultimately, they can both work together in an efficient way. Sometimes the world is easier to understand when it's black and white. And so you introduced a bit of gray into that, which makes it much more dynamic and interesting in the near-term applications. It's this map that you're drawing. It's very interesting because there are problems that classical computers solve well, but quantum computing can solve better. Again, here I'm talking about a quantum computer with a huge amount of perfectly built qubits and perfectly controllable qubits. An example of that is linear algebra. We know that inverting a matrix, which is in machine learning the key operation that we need to do to train our linear machine learning models. It's an operation that classical computers don't, don't do bad at all. We can build pretty big linear models. It turns out that quantum computer can do that even better. What's the advantage there? Well, there is always an advantage because in this case, if you think that the quantum computer that will train a very large linear model will be very, very small. Another way of seeing it is that there are classical problems that classical computers don't solve that well. And we know that quantum computing can very well. For example, the simple example is the factoring of integer numbers. Or slightly better, all the problems that involve at some point sifting to a large number of solutions, we know that it's a problem that we can solve quadratically faster on a quantum computer. And then there are the difficult problems, the problems that we don't know if quantum computer can do a better job. But because of that, because it's also tough for classical computer, and the traveling salesman is one of these examples. Everybody thinks, why shouldn't we give it a shot? And that's a good map about how to apply quantum computer from a theoretical standpoint. On a practical standpoint, what you do is also right. We talk about quantum computer, quantum computers, and we touched upon initially what should software engineers do to prepare for what's coming. Probably most of them will do nothing because all the system that we will have in the future will be most probably a hybrid system. And I don't know when we will have quantum laptops. Perhaps there will never be a business case, at least in the next century, to have a quantum laptop because our laptop works very well. I mean. A laptop is one of the least powerful examples of computer that we can build right now. 
practical quantum computing in the future will be hybrid. Well, not strictly quantum, but the kind of system, computational system that will use, will have a quantum processing unit, will be hybrid system, with most probably a hybrid cloud. Some of the big players there, example, Amazon, but also Microsoft, they have hybrid clouds. So those interfaces that know how to direct the workload either on a classical CPU, central processing unit, or a quantum processing unit, the QPU. That, that technology is still very much early, early stage. So in a way, that's the future, but we still don't have it. We still don't have hybrid cloud that works well. The future will be also hybrid when it comes to the algorithm. It's unlikely that we will say, okay, we have this problem and let's take your hard drive, make it a quantum hard drive. And then whatever the data processing you need to do there will be done on a quantum processing. You know, the future will be hybrid and all the emphasis that is put on quantum machine learning in general by the quantum computing is because these hybrid algorithms that we are developing today, they borrow many principles from machine learning. These hybrid algorithms will have a CPU and a QPU looped into a tight loop that keeps us changing information. And the quantum programmer will have to be clever at putting the difficult problem on the quantum processing unit and leaving the data intensive part of the problem on the CPU and making good use of the very fast random access memory. So the future, not only in the short term, but also in the middle term, looks very much hybrid. Got it. Thank you. There are lots of people in the fintech space that are, of course, blockchain fans. And so I'd be remiss if I don't ask you the encryption and public-private key question. So SHA-256 is one of the algorithms that is used abundantly. In your view, when would be the time that a quantum computer can crack that encryption? I understand that for the fun of it, it's important to talk about this topic and I'm very happy to do so. It's very difficult. Some of my time, I spend a lot of my time dealing with time series, financial time series. Also, you know, from my background, time, it's, it's really a weird concept to me. It's very difficult to quantify, I think, reliably things in time. I think it's much more practical and reliable to really quantify the advancement towards the goal into practical milestones. What has to happen in order for us to defeat, uh, let's say, this encryption technology? All these encryption technology are really what makes uh, the connected world possible. So here we are really talking about doomsday scenario in a way where something that supports our civilization, if you think, society, if it's threatened by this new technology. We have some algorithms we'll probably have more in the future that potentially can crack it. Uh, while, as a matter of fact, right now they are unhackable. These protocols are unhackable, at least theoretically. Then, of course, they are, can be misused, misimplemented, and then they become vulnerable. But this protocol, you know, the experts believe that they are basically unhackable. Yeah, there are algorithms that they can make them hackable instead. What does it take for this algorithm to be run practically? Well, so far, the estimate for running this algorithm at tens of millions of qubits, and given that now we only have 10 qubits today, this is somehow reassuring. It's not that I'm not a big fan of quantum computer, but my mission as a scientist is also to be truthful and realistic. We need to have millions of qubits. Now, will somebody discover algorithm that instead use 200 qubits, 1,000 qubits? I don't know. But if that was the case, 
the matter becomes more complicated. It becomes more complicated because there is the chance of building physical computer with 100 qubits in the matter of the next five years. If you under qubit, you know, in the matter of five years, will the qubit be good enough for run those algorithms? That's another question. So that's another hurdle. Have enough qubit is the first. Making the qubit good enough is the second hurdle. And then again, kind of limits is pushed in there in the future or in the present, depending if some clever researcher invents some algorithm that make the most out of smaller amount of resources. There is another aspect that sometimes people mention that I think it's quite interesting. It's talking about the time scale. Maybe in 20 years, we will have something that is potentially capable of breaking some simple en encryption protocol using genuinely quantum resources. The question here is, we know that this protocol are used by billions of users every day. What does it take to tell billions of people to change their system completely? Would company like Microsoft and IBM be able to upgrade all their system on an adequate time scale? That's another interesting question, I think. So thinking about this thing happening at the right time, I want to be an optimist, I would say yes. But for big company to first adopt the protocol, it means that the protocol has to be identified. And I know that there are efforts to identify this protocol, the official efforts to identify a new quantum-safe protocol. And luckily, we know that there exists uh, not only quantum, but only classical protocol that uh, are, are deemed to be quantum-resistant. Now we are in the process of selecting the one that we think is more practical and better. My concise answer, this is the whole discussion. Let's, let's draw a conclusion. Uh, is that probably we're much closer to finding and adopting a new classical quantum resistant protocol compared to this sort of uh, mythological monster that comes down from the Mount Olympus and destroy, you know, destroys our civilization. I'll be optimistic. I want to say something more about the blockchain. I don't have a Bitcoin wallet, nor an Ethereum wallet. Despite working in finance, I never speculate or try to make money out of those technologies. So I'm an outsider, to be honest. The question there is, given how difficult it is to update the underlying encryption technology for Bitcoins and so on and so forth, there are often this hard fork, which means that an entire community decides or a portion of the community decides to do a switch and the people who don't participate in this switch I'm making it simple because that's the only way I can think about it in my mind. They lose all their belonging, basically, or their virtual assets. Will the community be able to organize to adopt the new encryption, quantum-resistant encryption protocol? Well, it's up to them. But that's certainly something that it looks difficult given how Bitcoin works, but certainly can be done. It's the whole idea of being decentralized and so on and so forth. I think it can be done, but I'm not an expert here. I think I exhausted my questions. Is there anything else you wanted to share about CQC? You're probably one of the largest, if not the largest think tank in this space, at the very least in the private sector. But even compared to universities, you have such a large number of brains working on Correct. I mean, the company employs more than 100 people. The research staff and the engineering staff is probably two-thirds of our workforce. My excitement as a scientist around quantum computing is because to really advance these fields, one way, a part in that has worked in the private sector and in the startup world especially, is to basically build a small private university department. When it comes to the numbers, and if we restrict ourselves to software company, I think almost surely the biggest independent company 
when it comes to the big guys, it's difficult to know how many people are exactly working exclusively on quantum computing. And given that some of these companies routinely experiment with our tools and we have scientific collaboration going on, I think that when it comes to the quality of our output, we, you know, we couldn't be more competitive, which is, uh, I don't know, it feels good. <laughs> totally. It's pretty amazing. Now, this is another topic, I think, or another discussion of, I think, that could be what are the advancement lines of this technology, right? And how this technology is going to advance in the near term. At Cambridge Quantum Computing, we do pretty much a bit of everything. This is an, an interesting point of view, right? An interesting topic for probably people that are a bit more technically invested in the whole thing. There is this paradigm of quantum computer. It's called this way of making quantum computing work, which is called error correction, which is how classical computer works, by the way. They have a sort of analog system that is then error corrected that is becoming a perfect digital system, perfectly digitalized system. And some people think that quantum computer will never be ready for proper commercial exploitation until this become available. We are a bit more optimistic and we think that there is a business merit in doing things earlier with this hybrid system, for example. The challenge with making hybrid system usable, it's all by writing clever quantum programs. This is something that partially a like compiler can do, but this can be done to so many levels of abstraction that really requires native quantum programming in the loop, which is what certain type of quantum physicists are. Then the challenge there is, uh, let's say on the data side, but it's mostly classical, to preprocess the data to shrink the size, to you know, apply dimensionality reduction transformation. The other aspect instead is uh, to make the quantum program shorter. It's really as simple as this. Like classical computer, quantum computer have parallel operation, and then they have sequential operation that one can represent in discrete time step. Most of the challenge, you know, when we have error correction, we can do, uh, go as deep as possible. If we make our error negligible or small enough, we can go as deep as possible. Now instead, given that we have the error and errors and we need to work around that, the old challenge is to make this circuit and this program shorter. And this is what, it's difficult, that's why it sounds very technical because not many people, not many people talk about it and not many people know to do that. But this is what takes a lot of my time, me and my team. And the implication of that is that the application people don't really want to know how the assembly code in classical computer looks like, but they want to know that something works and something achieves certain specs. And with my team and at Cambridge Quantum, we, we exactly also are focused on that. And there is a lot that can be done. Again, it's difficult and it's achievable only, I think, in an environment when there's this dual driver. So a scientific driver of really understanding the problem to the most fundamental level possible, which is a very academic approach. But also a commercial driver that say, you know, if, if I can shrink the size of my quantum program, then I can demonstrate this application, be ahead of the other potential competitor and run this code, this quantum code on a bigger instances or run it successfully with an higher chance, which is a very, very practical goal but it requires uh, being also the best at science in a way. That's why it's so difficult. And it's, if you think about it, especially the more academic-oriented listener will know that we have been talking about quantum computing really for decades. But the problem, it's, it's really complex. It's, it's scientific, it's business, it's an engineering problem. And, and as I said, this total enterprise paradigm, I think it's challenges, but it's, it's what could really accelerate the adoption of this technology. 
it's really a complex matter. It's really a complex matter. But the good thing is that it's very difficult to be competitor in this space. I, I, I used a couple of times this word, but there are really so many problems that could be addressed. Uh, collaboration is the best way forward here. And I think that also from a scientific point of view, that's very interesting. And this is a fact of how scientifically grounded the problem is. Okay, Norbert, thank you very much for your time and for organizing this. 